of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. As I indicated to you before, we're opening a new series. Uh, We were dealing with those five particular aspects of the 11 initiatives. We wanted to encourage people to pray, to be discipled, to uh, care for one another, to commit to things, and also to communication improvement. And those 11 initiatives are on the sheets that are in the back. Uh, That series uh, got us through the spring, and now I want to be able to tackle some of these other things as has been requested by some of you in the church and some of you on the session. Uh, There is a request that we have some topics that we would uh, actually deal with some of the questions that would be on your mind. And if you take the bulletin card that is in front of you, you'll be able to see the emphasis in the coming days. Uh, the, the contemplative thought, can a person that's broken be restored? That's what we're questioning today. Next week is respect a casualty of postmodernism. In other words, have we lost respect in our culture? Uh, the third question on Father's Day is, has the family unit been redefined by Christians? And the question I'm raising there is a lot of us have have been concerned because the secular culture has redefined things. And the question that I'm going to be raising is, are we as Christians redefining it? And the, uh, the fourth question is, does the church still offer value to millennials? In other words, for the, uh, the generations. Uh, if, you're, if you're coming to church here, does the church, is the church a place where you're, it's worth going? Does it still have value? Because there's a lot of people today, it's over, I think only 41% of people attend church now. And that, that chart is dropping, 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 dropping. So it's interesting, where is the future of things? We'll be tackling those things in the future. Um, I wanted to be able to look at our passage today, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, this is the last chapter of that particular book. We're going to be looking at the first 10 chapters. So let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given to us in the originals. But we're reading it in English because it wasn't, we, we're probably not going to be able to read the Greek as well. But as we read this, we know that this is what God gave us. This is God-breathed. It is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that the men and women of God might be complete. So let us take notice. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." Let the one who is taught in the word share good things with the one who teaches. And do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal or eternal life. And let not us grow weary of doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are 
in or to those who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will take the reading and the preaching of the word and make it an effectual means of salvation. We pray that there will be many more even in this congregation today that will understand the gospel message as it is communicated. I pray that we might understand how God can take something like a broken person and bring in restoration. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Uh, the, the message this morning is, as I said, the first of a series. And uh, I want to begin by opening up the series point. If you look at the front of the bulletin card, the emphasis is, but I say unto you... And that quote comes from who? From Jesus. Okay, but I say unto you, this phrase is repeated in the book of Matthew uh, nearly 18 times. You find it uh, specifically the way that it's constructed, uh, a little less, just over 10. But it's an interesting concept, and that's where I want to introduce us and start us from the very beginning. And that is that whatever Jesus says, we need to pay attention. And if you look at the word but at the beginning of this, but I say unto you, it shows a conjunction with what's implied. What's implied by this? You have heard, but I say to you. The implication here is that there is something that you've been hearing, something that you've been believing, something that's been echoed in your ears, not once, twice, but maybe a hundred thousand times. And you've heard it in the culture. You've heard it on television. You've seen it being produced in the new movies. You've seen it in your neighbors. You see it in the celebrations that you go to. This is what they say is fun. This is what they say is good. This is what they say will bring satisfaction to you. You know, the temptation to take drugs. The temptation to lie and steal to get out of something. The temptation to manipulate. All of those things is what the world is trying to tell you is good. And some of the guys I believe up here would probably stand here and testify. That's exactly what they heard. They heard from somebody they thought was a friend that said, try this, do this, go this way. But the, then there's this word, but, but I say unto you, this whole idea that Jesus is saying something that's countercultural, that this Jesus has something to say and to people who are living as if he's not even a part of your life. He says, you've heard it. This is the way it seems. But let me tell you the way it is. But I say to you. Some of the things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew, if you'll go there, you'll see a couple of those things highlighted. And uh, when, when you take notice of, of uh, these key verses in Matthew 5, 21, Matthew 5, 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old that you shouldn't murder, and whoever murders would be liable of the judgment. In other, in other words, you've heard this idea that you shouldn't murder or there'll be a punishment. And Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is going to be liable. It's interesting how the world says, oh, you can do all these mean things to one another as long as you don't kill them. But then Jesus says, no, you can't. But I say unto you, if you have an evil spirit towards your brother and you echo it, you will be liable of the judgment uh, whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council. Whoever even says you're a fool will be liable of hell. Now, when you think about this, but I say unto you, 
is really a powerful statement. If you look a little further down in Matthew chapter 5, you're going to see in verse 38 a second expression of this. In verse 38, he says, You have heard this saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that is a secular saying. I believe that comes all the way back to to the dates of Hammurabi. I mean, this idea that if somebody does this to you, you can do it to them. If they take your eye out, then you can do what to them? Take their eye out. If they're nasty to you, then you can be nasty to them. You see, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the, the idea of justice. But then Jesus says, but I say unto you, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, you should do what? Turn the other cheek so he can slap that. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your clothes or your tunic, let him have your coat also. And if anyone forces you to go a mile with him, he says, go the extra mile. You see, when you think about what Jesus says is very powerful. The one that I wanted to get to today that sets up the stage for Galatians 6 is the one that begins in verse 43 of Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard, and that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Haven't you heard that one? You've heard that it's good to love your neighbor, but to hate the enemy. And then Jesus says, and if you join me, but I say unto you. I mean, you get the idea? You you understand that this is the way culture does it. But this is not how Christ would do it. And hence, this is not how Christ's followers would do it. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you. And so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what... What difference is that? He says, you already have your reward. Even the tax collectors do that. But if you greet only your brothers, what more are you than they? Do not even the Gentiles or the secular people do that? You, therefore, must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He says, we are not to treat people like that. We are supposed to treat them better than that. Now, the, the passage that we have in under explaining uh, what I'm going to get to is just Teen Challenge is here. And the idea that Teen Challenge brings, I was reading through some of their, uh, some of their core values and their, and their statements. Uh, according to the website, their dream is to put hope within reach of every addict or at-risk youth by offering life transformation through caring, Christ-centered programs. Through our proven solutions of life-controlling addictions, our hope is that every teen-challenged student will become a productive member of society, mentally sound, emotionally balanced, physically well, spiritually alive. They want to take those broken crayons and do more than put tape on them. But I say unto you that God is in the business of taking broken people that are here that are here and putting us back together. That is the essence of this passage. So if you'll turn again to Paul's explanation, he's writing here at the end of the book. It is an interesting, interesting analysis. When Paul has already explained in chapters 1 through 5 some of the troubles, some of the applications, he gets to chapter 6 and he is challenging the people that they should they should restore. They should care for one another. 
there is a huge opportunity for us to learn that this is God's ways, so let's do God's ways. If you're taking notes, there's two main points that I'm giving. One is to see the process explained. The other is to see the points of the plan or the bullet points. So I want you to be able to see from the helicopter view the overview of the process, like a flow chart in business. And then secondly, we'll look at the bullet points. What are we actually going to do to make it happen? When Paul explains this, he sees first that, uh, let me just walk it through. He speaks it to the mature, that there is a mission to restore the mess, utilizing a methodology, upholding a mirror to stop multiplied messes. That's the flow chart. I want to unpack that for you. And after we get through those, then I'll be able to take the bullet points to be able to tell you that in chapter 6, he says, carry the load, examine your own load. He says, honor the one who is helping you to know what to do with that load. And then he says, trust God. Trust God. Now, with those applications, please follow along with me. Uh, When we see this flow chart, the process explained, the first aspect of, uh, I want to read it for you again so it's fresh in your mind. Brothers, if someone is caught in a transgression, in any transgression, or in the old King James, if you're caught up in a fault, you who are spiritual should restore that person with the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too would be tempted. That is the essence of the flow chart. So if you look at it, the first, the main point that you have to see in this particular text is a surprising point. It's a word that starts with an S. Spiritual. If you take out the word spiritual from this passage, you might as well erase the rest of it. If there are no spiritual people, there's not going to be anything else that takes place. Because he says, if there are spiritual ones, then there's going to be something that happens. There's going to be fruit that gets on that tree. But if you take away the spirituality, then you're left with not much. You're left with no good fruit. You're left with brokenness. It's almost like, as our dear sister, uh, George, and his wife, Pat, are heading up to Christiana tomorrow. And they're going to be taking, uh, they're dealing with a mass in her brain. Very serious. We need to pray for George and Pat. We are going to get skilled people to do it. I certainly am not going to do that surgery. You know, I wouldn't want to to take a knife and open up a head and go in there and try to find out the parts that are not supposed to be there without damaging the parts that are. But when you start to think about it, there's no way that you're going to be able to proceed. There's no way without the mature. In the word spiritual, ye which are spiritual, it is really a fascinating thing because you don't find this world just thrown around scripture everywhere. Uh, If I were to take a poll right now, and I'm not going to do it, I'm going to spare you. If I were to ask you if you're spiritual, would you put your hand up? Don't do it. Could you claim that you're spiritual? Hmm. What are you getting at, Pastor? The point of all of this is that there is a status called spiritual. And the fact that he and Paul writes this to the church there, he says you can be spiritual. It's not something that's not attainable. It's not some category that's other that you can't check. It's not like you can pick which bathroom to attend. You, you can, honestly, you can be a spiritual person. How do you become one? Because if you aren't one, then in a sense, this message just goes right over your head. Then you become a part of the third point. 
If you're a spiritual person, it's because of the root word of spiritual, which is the first few letters, S-P-I-R-I-T. I always had trouble spelling it. Spirit. It's all about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Is the Holy Spirit there? How do you measure if he's there or not? Are you, are, it's like looking at a Coca-Cola bottle, and if it's half drunk, then it's only half full. Is that the way the Holy Spirit works for us? Oh, you only got a little of the Spirit. I want you to know that the Spirit is a person, and if he's in you, he's all in you. And if he's not in you, then he's not in you. Okay, so when you start talking about being spiritual, the number one thing is you have to have the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was not just poured out at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. If you read Romans 8, the explanation that's before that passage we read today uh, corporately, in Romans 8, he said, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit helps our weaknesses. The Spirit helps us to pray. The Spirit reminds us that we are in relationship with the Father, calling us Abba, Father, and that we're his children. The Spirit of God is real. Talk to Ananias and Sapphira. You don't lie to him. You don't pretend that he isn't there. The Spirit of God is absolutely real. So then the point I want to make is, if you're spiritual, then you can proceed. Now, Paul has just told us about the Spirit. If you go back to chapter 5 of Galatians, and some of you have already memorized this passage, but this is how you can measure your spirituality. Uh, If you look there in chapter 5, verse uh, 22, 5 verse 22, it says, But the fruit that the Spirit brings is this. And he starts listing these interesting things. So if you want to evaluate if the Spirit is working in you, I would ask you, do you have love? And that's a dangerous question because we all have love. The problem is, what do we love? What is the idol that you are loving? What is it that you're cherishing? What is it that is so important to you that you can't let go of it? What is it that comp, that, that just fills your mind every moment of every day? What is it that you're longing for? Got to be careful on that one. What about if the Spirit's in you, will you have joy? So how do you, ha- how do you know if you have joy? You know, I, we just watched a, a, a video clip that's, that one of our friends that was in our wedding sent of her daughter. Um, she's in an out-of-state position, but this girl is a teenager. Uh, I guess she's in her low 20s now. And she's driving the car, and she's just singing away, making up stories as she's going. And it's hilarious to watch the joy that that girl has. When was the last time you exhibited joy on your countenance? When was the last time you were genuinely happy? I've talked to people today that have just recently been in wedding ceremonies and having different things. And there is this, this, why do they have all this laughter and, and fun? And we as Christians tend to look like we're morbid. Rigor mortis is setting in. You see, this ought not to be because if the Spirit of God is in you, you ought to have J-O-Y. And one way to get that, uh, my, my uh, one Bible school teacher used to say, it's Jesus, the J, then it's others next, and then it's why yourself last. If you want joy, you got to get the priorities. The third thing he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. When you're not in turmoil, a peace that passes understanding can keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians that that comes when you talk to the Lord about your issues. 
when you know that we have a sovereign God who is, who is not taken off guard because of a maverick molecule. No, everything bows. At the name of Jesus, every knee, every tongue, it's all going to fall in place, including yours. If you go through the list, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that you're not going to spout off. You're not going to have a reaction that's nasty. He says, against these things, there's no law because the Spirit is doing these things. They're beautiful. This is what a spiritual person does. And then he goes down roughly three or four verses. And he says, you who are spiritual, those of you that have the Spirit working within you, you're the ones, the mature. To the mature, there is given a mission. The word for the activity in this passage, it starts with an R. Do you see it? Help me out if you can. Restore. There is a mission to restore. There is a calling to take that which is uh, apart and restore it. To take that which is blemished and polish it back. To take that which is damaged and to make it new. You see, the whole idea, if you're spiritual, this is what Paul is applying. He says, if you have the spirit working in you, then you have a mission in this life to fix things. I'm not talking about like a veterinarian with animals. The fixing of things is to make them better. To take that which is broken and to restore it. Many stories could be told of how an old antique is bad. Just recently, I took an old lawnmower out of my garage and put it in the garbage. I can't fix it. I don't have the skills. I don't have that. So how do spiritual people do this mission of restoration? You see, it's not optional. This is what the Holy Spirit drives you to do. When you have dysfunctional family, when you have dysfunctional relationships, you are not free as a spiritual person to say, "Ah, oh, well, who cares about them? Restore. My brother's sitting here on the front. Yesterday I met him and he had some car troubles. And I remember as I'm driving by, I'm saying, man, I'm glad I'm not him. The muffler broke off and flipped up underneath. And he's not even very far from his house. And there's parking at a parking lot. Nobody's here on Saturday. And I'm like, you're broken. <laughs> and I'm saying, and as I'm driving by and this, this message is resonating in my heart, I stop by and say, are you okay? And of course, I know he's okay. Looks good. And, and he said he got a label on. He, has, he works at a, at a place and he needed a ride. Easy to fix. Glad you're here today. The brokenness that we're talking about in Paul's day is not just something that easy to fix. It's the broken life. Teen Challenge guys would give testimony to that. Would you? Is your life a broken life? You see, this mission of restoration is something that the spiritual do. Now, how do they do it? The Bible tells us that there is a mess. The people that we're supposed to restore are not, it's people. It's not just objects. It's not just things. So if you look at your passage, you're going to be able to see there. He says, brothers, if somebody, anybody is caught up in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. So this whole point is, is that there's a mess. You're supposed to restore the one that's, in, that's a mess. Now, this is where you can feel good, right? If I were to ask you to raise your hand if your life is in a mess. Some of you would not raise your hand because you don't want to declare that. But what is the definition of a mess? 
In the passage, he says, if you're caught up in a sin, this is as Tim Keller, when he was unpacking this passage, he was saying, this is not spiritual people going around saying, you've sinned. Oh, you sinned for that. Oh, you've sinned for that. Oh, I got this one on you. You know, that's not what spiritual people do. They don't go around looking for sinners because if they did, they'd see them anyway. They would see them in the mirror. Okay, the whole point, he says, is that the ones who are overtaken by their sin, the ones who are even not just ignorantly, but they are consumed by their sin. They're addicted to it. They're in. They can't get out of it. The quicksand of sin. When you look around, how many people do you know? Can you just start listing on one hand or does it take two or does it take a legal pad? How many people are caught up in their idolatry? They're caught up in their agenda. They're caught up with seeking first, not the kingdom of God, but some other kingdom. How many people are inclined to do what they want to do? And this is what a lot of the book of, of Galatians is talking about. He says, don't be in bondage again to, the, to this other gospel that's not another gospel. It's not freeing. It's not liberating to be in bondage to good works. It's not freeing and liberating to try to have to save yourself. Where the liberty comes is that Christ saves us. We're all a mess. And when you think through it, the mature are given a mission to deal with the messes. And then there's a methodology. If you look at the next part of the verse, it says, restore somebody in the spirit of gentleness. Old King James calls it meekness. It's an interesting word in the Greek, but I just want to be able to tell you that this whole idea is saying, hey, this is what the spirit does because meekness and gentleness are both included in the list in, in 522. So if the spirit of God is working in you, then one of the things you do when you find somebody that's, that's enslaved to their problems, they're a big mess. He says, gently, gently, gently restore them. A spirit of meekness. I remember one of the professors I had said that really this is like having a gigantic Clydesdale horse. And if you have a big horse that's in your vicinity, what do you usually do? Where do you stand when you have a giant horse like that in front of you? Far away. That is the right answer. You stay far enough away so that you don't get kicked because the power that they have, that's what we call it, horsepower. But if you know how to harness that horsepower... If you can get it to pull what it needs to pull, it's pretty fascinating, the strength that's there. But that strength is only good if it's under control. And that's what this word says. You need to be strong like a Clydesdale, but you need to have reins on you so that you just don't do what seems right in your own eyes. With a, with a methodology of meekness. Wow. Now, the next part says that you should pick up the mirror. Before you get through your whole thing, he says, pick up the mirror. Now, why would he say this? He says, consider yourself. Look at your own life. You need to stop. He says, this is a part of the process. This is what spiritual people do. They examine their own hearts. Next week, we're going to have the communion table here. There will be bread and there'll be juice on it. And guess one of the things that I'm commissioned by Christ to do? I will tell you to examine your own heart. Why would I ask you to do it? Nobody else can. They can't do it as well. I think Jesus can. That's, I have to say Jesus is the answer, of course, but I can't do it. Man looks on the outward appearance. You and God look at your heart. 
The whole Bible says here, if you're spiritual, you look at yourself, you apply the same test to you. If you're going to be difficult with somebody, you need to be first difficult with you. I had this interesting thing over here, if it's still here. This passage. <clears throat> what is this? It's a board. It's the closest thing I could get to a beam. Okay? Um, okay? Now, now you, when I said the beam... Okay, some of you know exactly where we're going. Jesus taught. He said that before you start bringing the speck out of somebody else's eye, what are you supposed to do? Start pulling the beam out of mine. Do you have a beam? You see, if you're going to look in the mirror, you're going to see the beam. You're going to see the things that shouldn't be there. And praise God, there's something you as a spiritual person that can do about it. What can you do when you see the beam in your own eye? You ask God to forgive you. You ask God to remove it. You ask God to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to clear out the stuff that needs to go. The mirror and the last part of that process in the flow chart. Look, he says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. The implication here is, If you don't see and deal with the beam in your own eye, guess what happens to you? You become the mess that was at the beginning of the verse. You become the one that is just as broken and just in sin as the other person that you're supposed to go and restore. And I call it a multiplied mess because now you have been spiritual. You're doing all these things, but you go around and you become a spiritual mess. And that's almost an oxymoron. My point is this. Paul is telling the church believers, our mission is to restore. The Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you can do it. And briefly, I just want to touch on how to do it, the bullet points. If you look at the next verse in verse uh, 2, you end up seeing, he says, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, carry the load of your neighbor. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, and he says also, love your enemy. The whole point here is if you're spiritual, you're going to carry the load. What does it mean to carry the load? It means that if somebody is stumbling, if somebody is falling down, you get in there and help. If you remember Jesus walking down the Via Della Rosa when he was heading on the way to the cross, he stumbled and fell and they got somebody from Africa to come by and help pick up Simon. Cyrene, the Cyrenian. He came and helped. He carried the load. Have you ever come along anybody to carry their load? Have you seen somebody struggling, overtaken? It's maybe a little easier with the financial. My brother here is a great illustration for me about giving him a ride to work. That doesn't count for much of anything. The issue is when you come alongside somebody, what do you do to help them? Or do you add to their weight? You know, Jesus said that, it's, that a millstone is around them. Oftentimes, if they're offending a little one, if they're offending a, a sister or brother in Christ, if, are you able to go and say, let me unleash that millstone around your neck? Let it go. Let it go. You see, it's very interesting when you see, he says, bear one another's burdens. And if you get together on it, uh, my mom's phrase, many hands get the job done. That was her way of trying to get all eight of us kids to help clean up after dinner. Secondly, examine your load. 
When you look at the particular passage, you're going to see quickly that the scripture says in verse 2, after bear each other's burdens, which is Christ's law, which Christ's law is to love one another, love God first and love your neighbor as yourself. Then in verse 3, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he simply deceives himself. Let each one look at his own work or test his own work. The encouragement there is that when you are working, make sure that you're doing what you said you're going to do. Part of the beam in your own eye. But that second thing is examine the load that you're carrying. Thirdly, he says, honor the one who helps you. And that is in the next verse, he says, but let the one who teaches, he says, let the one, um, let the one, verse six, who has taught the word, share all good things with the one who has taught him or the one who is teaching him. That there is something about when God gives you somebody to help you, to be able to, to guide you on how to do these bullet points, he says that you ought to benefit from them. Let the one who is taught share with the good things that you've gotten. In a sense, that's what Teen Challenge is doing today. They're coming and sharing with us, us with what God is doing. And lastly, the trust of God. And you look briefly at those particular passages. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life everlasting. If you're spiritual, you should be showing to, sowing to the spirit. You ought to be going about with the seeds that are very spiritual, and it should bring life to those who come in contact. So briefly, it's this. You focus on a God who's not mocked. We have a sovereign God. No matter what unfolds in your life, we still have a sovereign God. You might think that God is being made fun of. You might think that God is somewhere far away. You might think that the agenda is coming. It's outside of God's parameters. No, it is part of God's plan. Secondly, focus on the change that will bring. The principle is there. If you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow good things, you're going to reap the good things. If you sow the bad things, you're going to reap the corresponding bad things. See this whole principle of change. Change is coming. I'm telling you, I've been hoping that the last trumpet would sound so that that change would happen. When the dead in Christ are going to be raised and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together and we'll be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We'll be made like Jesus. But that change hasn't fully happened. But there's changes taking place now. The change of a harvest. Maybe we sowed some kind of thing in clandestine behavior. We've done this in secret. We've done this over here so that we can get this. Everything is going to be brought to light. Whatever you've been sowing in secret, it's going to be revealed. My encouragement to you is sow things that are good and just and pure and lovely and honest and of good report because change is coming and you may not want the harvest that you're sowing for. And the last point is to focus on the cycle. Now, if you look at this particular passage here, he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He says, let each one of you, uh, he says here in verse 8, for the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit reaps life after everlasting. So he says, do not grow weary in what? In doing the restoration. Don't grow weary. Help them again. Help them again. Help them another time. Help them another time. You see, the law of the Lord, he says, the world says, just love the people who like you and, and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love those who are in your path. Friend or enemy, carry the load. Love them. Don't stop doing good. When you understand this is what Jesus did for us. He carried the load. He was a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He was spiritual. 
he did not return tit for tat. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand. They're doing these things. It's almost like Joseph saying, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Jesus understood our dilemma, and he came to restore. And the restoration that he brings is not tape on the crayons. The restoration that he brings is new faith in a person's soul. And according to 1 Corinthians 5, everything has become new when you become one of those Christians. And if you haven't had that new experience, then maybe you're not a Christian yet. Today could be the day. Everything becomes new. Everything. Your value system changes. You see people not as enemies, but as opportunities to show Christ's love. You get it? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will, this gospel message will resonate in our hearts. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who told us to stand fast in the liberty we have in Christ, to be able to engage in that mission. Sometimes we think it's more spiritual to be a disciple maker. Lord, it is very spiritual to be a restorer, to bring beauty out of brokenness, beauty out of ashes. Oh, Lord, I thank you that there is hope for each one of us, that the beams that are in our eyes can be removed, that we can come to the Lord's table next week with joy, with peace, with patience, with love. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the love of Christ that reached out to where we were to save us from the condition that we were doomed in, to save us, to give us status as a child of God, to give us the forgiveness of sins, to bless us with imputed righteousness. Oh, Lord, what a wonderful message this is. In Jesus' name, I give thanks. Amen. Amen. You guys are on. Amen. Let's worship our Savior one more time. Amen.